In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, I'll begin at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the true word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the life of Jesus and for the way Jesus was calling people into a way of life. Father, thank you for, for reaching out to us even here and now through your word and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Open our minds, our hearts, our lives, and free our tongues through your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are some good friends of mine who, if they heard words like what Jesus said, um, they'd get pretty excited. Anything about fishing. There, to them, there's nothing better than hearing, hey, come with me, let's go fishing. So maybe that involves standing on the shore, throwing a line into the water, maybe on a boat with a friend or two, maybe in a larger boat, dropping a net in the water like they did in the Sea of Galilee, or since a lot of my friends are up north, up by Canada, up by Lake of the Woods especially, sitting out there on a frozen lake, drilling a hole in the water, and just dropping a line in there. And then either sitting on a bucket in the cold or sitting in a rather elaborate ice house. Some of those are pretty impressive. One friend of mine really enjoys talking about all the different kinds of hooks and all the different kinds of bait for all the different kinds of fish and all the different tactics to catch them. I'm going to admit, I understand maybe about half of what he says. I just didn't grow up fishing. But I listen, because he's obviously enjoying himself talking like that. So, the Bible tells us that one day Jesus was walking past some fishermen. This wasn't a hobby, this was their business. He knew that these were the right men to be his disciples. And he invited them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now I'm going to ask you a question maybe you've never thought of before. Were these the very first fishers of men? Well, we're reading Mark's version of things today. And Mark usually gives us the shorter version compared to the other gospel writers. So the way he wrote this, he just puts Simon and Andrew together, and then going on a little bit farther, then he called James and John. Now speaking of John, in his version of things, he's a little has a little more detail in there. He tells us that Jesus called Andrew first, 
And Andrew went and brought his brother Simon. So, looking at my question again, does that make Andrew the very first fisher of men? The answer is no. Or, now over at Fairbury, our Old Testament text was from Jonah chapter 3. You remember the story of Jonah, I assume. Okay? Remember how Jonah had been thrown overboard and he was in the sea and he really wasn't expecting a big fish to come. So was that very first fisher of a man that big fish that caught and swallowed Jonah as he was sinking and sinking down into the sea? Well, you remember that God had him. He was in the sea because God had wanted him to go and warn the city of Nineveh that that city would be destroyed if the Ninevites would not repent. But Jonah, being so brave, went the other direction to get as far from that call as he possibly could. And finally, he'd been thrown overboard for the, just the right place for the fish to rescue him. So, was this big fish, or in Hebrew, the dog gadol, was that the very first fisher of men? Okay, it's fun to think about, but the answer is still no. If we're talking about fishing for men, the first successful fisher of men would have to be God himself. You could say that God fished Adam and Eve out of their hiding place and hooked them with his forgiveness and carried them with his promise to make everything right that they had made wrong. He promised to send them a Savior. And then it was God who fished Abram out of the city of Ur and led him to the promised land. It was God who fished the Hebrews out of their slavery in Egypt. It was God who fished for the nation of Israel time after time after time as they kept plunging back into their worship of idols and their various destructive behavior. It was God who sent Jonah to fish for the people of Nineveh, and he did get there, and who used Jonah's words to catch the people there and cause them to repent. It was God who sent prophet after prophet to bring God's word to his people, to lift them out of the dangerous way that they were going, and to bring them back into his care and into their peace and into their freedom. And then at just the perfect time, God sent His Son in human flesh. And Jesus came to Andrew and Peter and to James and to John and then to eight other men and invited them saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What that really means in, in actual, um, what they would actually be doing, Jesus was going to be teaching them to do what Jesus had been doing ever since Eden. Follow me, Jesus told them. You know, when rabbis were out teaching in the land of Israel, they would gather their followers. So Jesus was doing the same thing. But this was better because it's Jesus. So go with Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Listen to him. Hear what he says and watch what he does when he's meeting people in the streets and meeting people in their homes Imitate him. Be ready to fish. Because someday he'd be gone. 
and they did follow him. It was like being his apprentice for three years, learning and preparing so they could continue when Jesus was gone. Because God was not and is not done fishing for men and women and children. The disciples followed, and they saw Jesus bring life and hope and truth to men and women and children. The disciples followed Jesus to the town of Nain, and they saw how Jesus had compassion on a widow and restored the life of her only son. They followed Jesus, and they saw how Jesus loved children and welcomed them and blessed them and just held them in his arms. And they heard very clearly that, no, they were not going, supposed to keep the children away from Jesus. They even heard Jesus tell them that these, as adults, they needed to become more like the children in order to inherit the kingdom of God. They followed Jesus and they saw him love and welcome and give life to people, even people who others were thinking were unimportant and didn't, ma- didn't matter like Mary Magdalene, who somehow had seven demons, all of which Jesus expelled. They followed Jesus and they saw him love and heal and give life to people with birth defects, like this man who was born blind. They followed Jesus and saw him cure and give life to the sick and the elderly, like Peter's mother-in-law. They followed Jesus and saw him feed and give life to the hungry. Over 5,000 at one time, that's just including the men, and over 4,000 another time. They followed Jesus. And they saw him protect the life of a man who the demons were trying really hard to destroy by throwing him again and again into the fire. And Jesus expelled those demons. They followed Jesus and they saw him heal a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years while there were some people who would urge her to just give up and even offer her a way to end her life. They followed Jesus and they saw him speak to lepers who were homeless and who were rejected and feared and shunned and isolated. But he cleansed them, made them good as new and gave them their lives back. What they saw was Jesus giving people life, healing so people could live, feeding so people could live, raising people to life, respecting life, valuing life, protecting life, even giving his own life to give them life and to give us life, being himself the way into eternal life. So this is what Jesus was talking about. This was Jesus fishing for men and women and children who were drowning in sin and drowning in the shadow of death and giving them life. This was Jesus again and again confronting the arrogant, the ones who looked down on other people and lifting up the outsider, the ones who thought that they weren't good enough. In both cases, to save their lives. This was Jesus fishing for you. Because without him, there would be no way for us to escape from our idolatry. Because anything we put as more important than God is an idol. Without him, there's no way out of sin and death. 
Without Him, there is no way to be given forgiveness and everlasting life. Through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, Jesus has come to you. And He's spoken those same words to you. Follow Him. Okay. Now let's ask a second question. And I know you, you're going to know the answer to this right away, but I'm still going to talk about it. So if God is fishing for human beings, does that mean that he thinks that we're like fish? No. Have you ever watched what fish do in an aquarium? No, that's not the way God sees us. Instead, think of it like this. God sees us as his sons and his daughters, not as fish. But what's happened to us is like falling out of the boat and God fishing us out, grabbing onto us with a firm grip and lifting us up into his arms. Adam and Eve disregarded what God said about the fruit, trusting the lies of the enemy instead, and in a way, they fell overboard. Jonah rebelled against what God told him by boarding a ship going in the other direction, believing his fear and believing his pride. And God ended up fishing him out of the sea. Instead of following God's word, Adam followed the serpent's lies. And Jonah fled from God's word. Both needed to be rescued. We all need rescue. And rescue is provided. Because at the same time, even after all these years, there is something inside of us now that does not want to behave like sons and daughters of God, but instead behave like those fish. Because down there in the fish world, the big fish are the predators, and the little fish are the prey. The big fish have the power and they have the strength, and the little fish want to escape from the big fish, but they'd also like to replace them and become the big fish themselves. Left to ourselves, that's how people behave. The powerful exploit the weak. Then the weak try to become the powerful so that they can be the exploiters. Living like fish, we get caught in that constant struggle for power. It's predator versus the prey. So we have slavery. We have domestic violence. We have assaults. We have brutality. The list goes on. And down in the world of fish, there is that same tempter that intruded into Eden, dangled the bait, and caught Adam and Eve. And ever since then, he's believed that he owns us, all of us. That we're just his prey instead of God's children. And he brings out the worst in us. Too often we let him. But like I said, God provided rescue. There is a much better way. God went fishing. Back in the beginning, God rushed into the Eden and promised them a Savior who would crush the head of the enemy. God went fishing in Nineveh with a net named Jonah, who all he announced was 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and God's word caught the whole city of Nineveh. 
Years later, the devil even tried fishing for Jesus. During those 40 days, he tried to overthrow Jesus. Tempting Jesus in the wilderness for over a month as Jesus grew hungrier and weaker day after day. I think about what, what I'm like when I just miss one meal. Okay? Jesus went 40 days. My older son, Eric, uses the word hangry, okay? And so you can use that or not. I don't know. The devil tried to get Jesus when he was at his weakest and most vulnerable. Jesus would not take the bait. And then about three years later, Jesus would die the death of a condemned sinner, though he was completely innocent. He was executed on the cross. But not because the devil had caught him, but instead because Jesus chose to die in order to save condemned sinners. And on the cross, Jesus did crush the tempter's head, as God had promised. His power was broken. Jesus won life for everyone who repents and trusts him. Jesus came into this world to protect life, including your life. So if you do have human DNA, which I assume you all do, God loves you. And God wants life for you. And Jesus died for you. When you've sinned, God wants forgiveness for you. When you're an outsider to him, God has made a way for you to be brought into his eternal family. When you're not good enough to deserve God's love, he counts Jesus' righteousness as yours. So God's been fishing for people like you since the very first generation of human beings. So we pray for life. We pray that God would heal people from the poison of sin with his forgiveness through the blood of Christ to give us life. We pray that God would defend us and keep us from the enemy who's always fishing to catch and condemn, and that God would keep us in his protection. We pray that God would continue to stretch out his hand and catch people for life. We pray like this because this is what God is doing. This is what God wants. And this is what God motivates his children to be doing. Jesus calls it fishing for men. It's what God did for Adam and Eve, what God did through the prophets, what God did through the cross and the resurrection, what God did through the disciples, what God is still doing through people like Sunday school teachers and grandparents and through all of his people today. That everyone could have a life that doesn't end in this world. A good life here and a wonderful life forever and ever. What Jesus taught his disciples, what he told them and what he showed them is that every single life is important to him. So important that he was willing to lay down his own life. Jesus went down into death to save our lives forever. So to Jesus, it's very simple. It's not complicated at all. Every life, without exception, is one for whom he endured the cross and then rose to life and is at this very moment preparing a place in heaven. Not because we live up to some level of worthiness, 
Not because we measure up to some value, not because we manage to keep all the commandments, it's too late for that. But it's all by God's grace. It's a gift. So instead of trying to do the impossible, to rescue ourselves, the grace of God is being lifted up out of the water, into his boat, into his arms. In the meantime, while we're still, God still has us in this world, Look to Scripture. Listen to Jesus. Watch how Jesus treats people. Learn from Him and follow Him. Inside church, yes. Inside your home, yes. And outside of those places, too. Keep fishing for life everywhere. You know, in John chapter 10, I know he's talking about sheep instead of fish, but it still applies. He talks about the difference. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So from Eden to the cross to this moment and into eternity, Jesus is not going to quit. He loves us too much. So follow him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your care for us, which when we think about it is truly amazing. So often we have not thought as one of your children. We have not spoken that way. We have not lived that way. And yet you claim us as your own. So Father, teach us to repent of our sins, to repent of that rebelliousness, like Jonah learned the hard way to do. And Father, teach us to trust Christ for every moment, Trust him for truth, trust him for life, for forgiveness and mercy. To trust him for today and for all eternity. So Father, use us. Help us to be more like Jesus and to speak like him and behave like him and love people like him. So thank you for being in our lives. Thank you for being in our church. Thank you for being in this world. Be with us always, Father. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.